and my version of badass Asian dudes is just like picturing somebody who's like super independent, able to do what he wants on his own terms. Are you willing to, you know, like live by your own set of rules? Are you willing to, you know, like break out of societal customs? And I was doing so many things to impress so many other people and all the way to the point where, you know, I started my own company. I started three companies. I believe that we're all massively creative people. You may not be creative in the way that I'm creative, or like you're not gonna articulate and communicate in the way that I will, and I don't expect you to. When I was growing up, I was the definition of the nerdy, shy, introverted Asian kid with two tiger parents who didn't even give me a choice. I just had to be a doctor. My parents came to America with no money, so I didn't get uh, you know this idea of emotional yeah. intelligence, and they don't know what that is. Like it was um, <laughs> survival mode. When you see someone else that looks like you, or represents you being emotionally intelligent or training their mental fitness. When you see that, all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, maybe I can do that too. Welcome to another episode of Badass Asian Dudes. Uh, I'm Michael Wu, one of the co-hosts and moderators of the Facebook group and podcast here about Badass Asian Dudes. With me, I have my co-hosts, Victor Ung and Brandon Shi. Um, as well as our guest, Sam Fong, today. Uh, Victor and Brandon, would you just like to quickly introduce yourselves? Yeah, excited to always be here and talk with some badass dudes here. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm Victor. I'm an emotional fitness coach and, and psychedelic integration coach. Um, and uh, here as one of the admins to talk about some real shit. So excited to get into it. Yeah, uh, my name is Brandon. Uh, I wrote my thesis on Asian masculinity. So this is kind of right up my alley and, you know, always trying to make a change in the movement. Yeah. And uh, Sam, I've, I guess I've known you for a bit virtually, but, you know, we've interacted in various ways. And I'm super happy to have you on and also super like, I was, was super uh, happy to have like finally met you in person, like <laughs> when I was back in California earlier this month. Uh, do you want to give a little intro of yourself and, uh, what you're up to sure uh thanks for having me on the podcast uh i'm sam fong and also pleased to have met you all uh virtually for the past year uh during the pandemic uh i, I think that you all know my group uh asian investors network i founded that during march uh, 2020 and we roughly have uh, 5,000 members of uh, investors in the asian community I work for a private equity firm focusing on commercial real estate investing, and I also uh, run several syndicates and other uh, investing partnerships in real estate, uh, flip houses in the Bay Area and buy commercial uh, real estate out of state. Yeah, you've uh, sucked me into some of these. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, awesome. So we like to lead things just off by, uh, we ask all our, all our guests to answer, what does being a badass Asian dude mean to you? I think that it's similar to being badass for any, any ethnicity, not just Asian, but the way I define a badass person is basically someone who lives life on their own terms. Like you define what you want to be and you struggle hard to be the best you can be at what you want to be. So I think that if you're able to attain success, uh, become great at whatever it is that you choose to do, that is being badass. Awesome. I love it. 
Is that the kind of impact that you're trying to make with Asian Investors Network and these other syndicates that you're involved with? Yeah, so investing to me is a personal passion and pursuit of mine. I've been doing it for 16 years. Uh, I love networking. I love investing. And this is kind of a way for me to um, put those passions into the same place and help other people while I'm doing it. So the vision I have for Asian Investors Network is to be a platform for uh, investors in the Asian community to connect and also improve their uh, investing success opportunities, uh, connections, and so on. So I think that um, it's kind of like a way of giving back as well as helping all of us become more prosperous. Awesome. And how's that going so far? Pretty good. Um, I think that we have a lot of good stories already. Like people have become friends via this network. They have uh, done deals together. Uh, they've um, invested together, become more successful together and formed a lot of friendships. Uh, it started off virtually and now people are starting to meet up in person and uh, become friends and uh, work together. Oh. I just I just love that there's that you've started such a um, group or such a place that we never really had growing up, not only like financial advice and education in general for people in society, but I think even more so with the Asian community where all we're taught to do is just, you know, get the good job and the high salary and save it and, you know, put it under the bed, uh, you know, and um, so it's super cool that you have a very specific group here. Like, do you, what do you, what kinds of like conversations, you know, go on in, in your group or like what, what kind of topics do you focus on specifically? Uh, I think you uh, bring up a great point, Victor, that um, many in the Asian community were more conservative. Um, we're taught from an early age to basically get a good job, get good grades, um, and you'll be safe. Uh, just save your money. And the, the investing part isn't a strong focus for a lot of people in the Asian community. Um, you know, I think people in more impoverished countries when they come over to America, they have this mentality like, hey, I got to save, I got to sacrifice in order to make a better future for my kids and so on. And that's very admi admirable. And that's how like many people in the Asian community have become so successful. But I think a missing piece of that is the investing part, because we have um, opportunities to invest and make our money work hard for us instead of make working hard for our money. Or you can do both. You can work hard for your money and you can have your money work hard for you. Uh, so it's like a partnership <laughs> between yeah. you and your money. In, in, in a sense. No, it, it really brings up for me as I think about my family and my grandparents, right? Where they're still working to this day, you know, and like getting, it's like, it's like all, I mean, granted, they immigrated, were refugees from the Viet Cong and all this shit happening in the world, right? That they had to like, they lost a lot of their financial wealth that way, but, yeah. but I think, um, but it, but it, it, it's like one of those things where it's like we continue working through the bone, and and it's like like something like you said, like we don't really think about this as much. So I, I appreciate you, like, um, you know, being of support, and and you are also so support so much support for me too. In, in <laughs> uh, as I'm kind of thinking through investment opportunities and whatnot. I know you've helped out uh, these other guys here too. So um, 
yeah super badass <laughs> thank you yeah well, going off of that actually what started like your passion in like investing or like do can you remember like one of the first investments that you made yeah, yeah. whatever your motivations that yeah. and yeah sure um yeah first of all uh you know it's it's my honor it's i'm very happy to help uh i think that's part of a a, a good life be, being able to help those around you and that's actually what inspired me to pursue this path of investing because i found that it's something that motivated me being able to work with other people around me and and help them and something that everyone kind of cares about success and financial success and being stable and uh able to pursue what you want without uh worrying about finances so much so i think that 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 part has always been a motivation for me being able to work with everyone uh, help the people around me and also, you know, um, pursue financial success. Uh, I think that it's something that we don't talk about that much, but it's important. Like it's hard to, it is hard to help, harder to help other people when you don't have your own finances together because you're constantly worrying, you're constantly stressing and, you know, there's a limit to what you can do. In terms of what started it all, um, very cliche. I read a book called uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And it was very inspirational for me. Um, I happened to be introduced to it by a friend when I was uh, 17. Uh, and then, you know, all my life I had been kind of not uh, happy where, 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 with where I was in, in school because I didn't find anything interesting. I just wanted to have fun and <laughs> that, that's, about, that's about it. I had no passions in a very, very competitive uh, school. So to me, it was very frustrating not being able to fulfill my potential, so to speak. I always thought that I was meant for more, but I didn't have a channel to outlet that to. So that was a very frustrating situation. But once I was exposed to the field of investing, it really called out to me. And it made me think back to many instances in my life where you know, this passion really made sense. For example, um, I played a game called Magic the Gathering. It's a card game. And I found that I actually enjoyed uh, the trading aspect just as much as I enjoyed actually playing the game. And when I talk about trading, I mean um, trading cards for cards, trading cards for money, arbitraging the eBay price with the street price, so to speak, <laughs> at the time. Like eBay was pretty new at the time, like 2005, and there was a pretty big uh, discrepancy between like the street price and the eBay prices. So I would just arbitrage that all day and. Uh, actually built up a decent amount of capital through that. And through that, I guess, you could either call those my first investments or you could call um, my first, I guess, uh, real investment, uh, which was in stocks. I became really obsessed with uh, stocks and Warren Buffett in particular. Um, I happened to choose a good role model and not just the YOLO gambler type. <laughs> um, because I, you know, his long-term track record is really amazing. And, you know, to be able to achieve success throughout so many different market cycles and economic environments is very difficult. So I used uh, Warren Buffett as my role model and I studied uh, stocks uh, obsessively every single day for hours, like while I was in high school, I was 17 at the time. And uh, during this time, I continued to save money, uh, sell things on eBay, and I eventually um, put together a decent amount of capital and uh, was ready to invest right when I turned 18. So I opened a stock brokerage account and I poured in all of my life savings at that point, you know, all the uh, red envelopes I amassed and hoarded over the years, all the uh, eBay uh, savings and everything like that. And it was, 
7,500 bucks. Um, and I put it all into this one stock. Um, it's called Universal Display Corp. Um, the ticker was PANL at the time. Uh, now it's called OLED. I bought it for around six or seven bucks and uh, it skyrocketed. I did very well on my very first stock. In fact, uh, I made like over 100% return very quickly. And then I got super cocky. I was like, oh, I'm the next Warren Buffett. This, <laughs> I figured out the algorithm. I can do this all day. And, you know, pride comes before the fall. So uh, I, I did a lot less due diligence on my, my next stock. I listened to too many like, you know, Goldman Sachs, Wall Street analysts who like had, you know, all this hype behind this other company called Sirius XM. And it cratered pretty, pretty badly. Like, luckily, what I had done was I took a part of my profits from uh, Universal Display and I poured it into this other company, which cratered. Uh, but, you know, my capital was still intact because I didn't put that much into it. And the rest of it, I was able to sell at a pretty good profit. So um, that taught me a great lesson about um, properly doing your due diligence and not trying to rush the process. Awesome. Buy into your own hype. <laughs> Did you have any other sort of uh, setbacks or learnings along the way to, to your path to like financial success? I think that was a pretty big setback for me. It was like a couple of grand. Um, so at the time, like that was a big chunk of my net worth, <laughs> right? <laughs> I was like 18 at the time. I was like, oh my goodness, all this, all this uh, life savings just like poured down the drain. Um, so that was a big wake up call to me. And luckily I learned it. Um, I guess other ones would be like my first, uh, uh, my first venture investment. It was in the startup in, in China. It didn't go so well. Um, and that was also like too much trust and not enough due diligence. So uh, I think I didn't know how to properly vet uh, startups at the time. So that was yeah. the thing. Um, yeah. You know, there, I guess in terms of other setbacks or things that actually hurt, um, I don't think there are that many. I think that uh, the biggest mistakes and the things that I regretted the most was during the first 17 years of my life, I didn't find this passion. Like if I knew what I knew then or knew what I knew now, I could have done a lot more with it. Um, I, so, yeah. I can't cool. imagine you being like four, four years old and <laughs> like trying to imagine. <laughs> yeah, I was like 18, first 18 years yeah. of your life. Yeah, like I was like, that's totally yeah. so much farther ahead than a lot of us like, who only who work yeah. maybe a decade into the career, corporate career, and still don't have a 401k or something, even, right? Like, so don't, yeah. like, I think that's it's crazy that you have that sort of <laughs> in your, um, I, I guess it's not regret, but it is something that you wish would improve. I'm, I got resonate with when you say like, you know, our finances is, is important to get, you know, figured out as, as a baseline, right? Um, yeah. I think that's something like, again, bringing in the, the idea of like the sort of survival mentality uh, and sort of scarcity mindset when, especially for a lot of in, in the Asian culture, you know, that's, that's all we're thinking about is like how to save up our money, how to, you know, feed the family and, um, and, and. Oh, you muted yourself. Sorry. Uh, when we're kind of like struggling and, and 
trying to figure out that side of things, it's hard for us to think about the you know other parts of our life that we can thrive in, like the creativity, the you know the the joys and and what uh, excites us, and you know how what's our passions and how do we pursue all that, right? Um, how like was there a certain point in your life or in your family that 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 was a struggle where money kind of got in the way or um, that was that was something that was hard to you know just think about anything else outside of that when when we're like struggling so much just to get I, I don't know what your kind of situation was growing up or um, I know I know I resonate with that one you know when we're not like the, the financial anxiety is real right and it doesn't yeah. want us to think about those things but yeah that's that's a great question I think that uh you know our surroundings and the people we're around and their mentalities really affect where we end up in life and it's difficult but not uh impossible to break out of that it really requires like uh an inner mental state that um is stronger than the environment around you if you want to surpass like a negative environment that's what I believe. Uh, in terms of my personal upbringing, I was pretty fortunate. Uh, my uh, parents both worked really hard, made a ton of sacrifices. Uh, my mom uh, came over to Canada first uh, from Hong Kong, and she had nothing. Like, she didn't have money for a return ticket. Uh, she was only 18 at the time. She didn't know how to speak English, no friends, no family over here. Um, and, you know, she was studying to become a nurse. And it was uh, very difficult. Um, she lived in an extremely cold part of uh, Canada where it would get down to negative 40 degrees. And she said uh, she'd be too scared to cry because her tears would like freeze. Oh my gosh. I mean, that, that's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty rough. Like we, we always joke about, you know, like our, our parents like have to walk like 50 miles to get to school and like, you know, all these other stuff, other stuff. But, you know, like that was a pretty rough um uh life in the beginning for her because you know like going through all those struggles you gotta have that immigrant mentality where you must persevere at all costs and make sacrifices in order to uh get ahead and that was something that was uh ingrained into me that uh you shouldn't spend money frivolously uh you should save um and you know you have to make sacrifices to get ahead and is very important to be uh, financially uh, stable and responsible because otherwise it'll be difficult to have a good life. And like, as I've uh, grown up with that mentality, I agreed with it after putting, um, you know, a lot of thought into it. I agree that it is important to have a financial base from which you can work off of. Like um, there, like at the end of the day, some people have like different needs, right? Some people can be happy with very little. Some people need a lot to be happy. But at the end of the day, if you don't have what you require to be happy, then there's always a nagging feeling at the back of your mind. Like, you know, hey, I got to get on top of this. I got to be like responsible. Like even people pursuing their passions with like very little, like they are often very happy, but you know, there's a nagging sense unless you have that financial piece in order. And I think that um, for me, my parents sacrificed a lot and we we're able to grow up. I was able to grow up in a pretty, um, pretty good upbringing. I went to a very good school and it was 
very competitive and difficult for like other reasons, meaning like because it was such a good school. <laughs> like there was a lot of pressure on every student to succeed. Like if you didn't get an A, you're viewed as like, you know, kind of kind of dumb. If you didn't get into like a like Ivy League or at least a University of California, like uh, people kind of look down on you. So that, there's that kind of pressure. Um, you know, some people even uh, had so much pressure, like they committed suicide. Like so it, it's a very different type, type of pressure, but there's a pressure nonetheless. So for me, I was such a bad student that there was a lot of pressure that on me to basically be more successful and, and find something that I could be good at. And uh, yeah, I think that I carried that mindset into college and into my early career, basically that I had to be successful. I had to, um, I had to do well in life. And I kind of thought of it as a hunger, like a hustler mentality. Like I have to, I, I, I thought of it as like a scarcity mindset in that like I had to make do with as little as possible in order to feel the hunger more and in order to feel the drive more. I, I thought that that would motivate me more. And, you know, there was a point in my life, I was really intense. Like when I first started college, I, I said to myself, and I meant this, I would rather die than be mediocre. And that, that enabled me to make a lot of sacrifices and uh, turn my life around from where I was, because I was very not happy with where I was going into college. But by the time I ended college, um, it was, it was like a whole new person, like people didn't recognize me anymore. Well, and what I hear from that is like, that you know that that mentality of oh I will I'd rather die than than like I don't what did you say again like I'd rather die than <laughs> I'd, I'd rather die than be mediocre right and and I think though you know we, we this is why our mindset and frame is so important because we could easily take that and say well I'm just gonna give up and just like not <laughs> like I can't be over like more better than mediocre you know and um and so like i think along with that in tandem is just like having a a another layer or addition to your motivation for what you're striving for right going back to what you uh, consider as a badass asian dude is someone who like is striving hard to to be their best but but it's also um understanding why you're doing that right like yeah. we can go and chase the financial success and security um, and hustle for that. But, but if we don't know our, our motivations behind it, like we can become like too focused on, on, on just that one thing. And like you're saying, like we might, like even if we had that success in this one area, we're, we might not be happy because there's certain, certain other parts that are still missing as well. You know, right. so how, how did you kind of like balance that, I guess, for yourself? Like, you know, did, does that bring up any sort of things that as you were like such at such a young age, thinking about financial success and security investment and all that, like, were there other things that, you know, created more fulfillment or passion within you or creativity that, that maybe you, you hadn't like focused on as much or, you know, like, yeah. How, how did you kind of round out, I guess? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that it's really important to find something that you're passionate about and work towards that because that gives you meaning and focus in life. 
And for me, uh, I was very lucky in that investing happens to be a pretty lucrative passion, <laughs> as long as you're good at it or you pursue it well. So uh, for me, there was no real uh, difference between like pursuing uh, financial success or, or my passion because they're one and the same. But um, I also want to be clear that like for me, like financial success isn't the goal. Like there's not much. I, I'm a pretty frugal person. I don't spend much. Uh, I especially don't spend much on myself. Um, so to me, like making more money doesn't mean like, oh, I'm going to I'm doing this so that I can like buy, buy a nice house, like buy a nice car or something like that. I'm, I'm just doing it for the fun of it. Like it's it's fun to me. Um, <laughs> so I think that that is something that informs whether you're passionate about something or not, whether you're fun, uh, whether you find it fun and it makes you excited to get up in the morning. Uh, I guess the other motivation for me would be um, the idea of uh, adventure and freedom. I, I think that there's like a couple of things I live my life for. One is um, to pursue success, to pursue adventure, and uh, to have a lot of freedom in, the, in those pursuits. So uh, in the adventure aspect, you know, like I definitely have a lot of fun. I, I like exploring. I play a lot of sports and do a lot of activities with friends. And I find that all of those very fulfilling, like there's a lot of fun. And uh, for the freedom aspect, which is kind of what the whole investing thing does for me is it, it gives you a lot of freedom because it allows you to live life on your own terms. And as we discussed in the beginning of the, um, the podcast, to me, being a badass means being able to live life on your own terms. And if you have the freedom and the options to pursue these different choices and these different uh, avenues in life, um, you know, at your whim, <clears throat> having really the time, the money, the freedom to to do all these things, then you can truly be a badass at living your life. Yeah, no, it really just expands, again, like our mindset and perspective or options into something that's more abundant, right? That And, and I, I know I've seen, like I've transitioned or especially from the mindset of like because my mom is or my family does come from a more frugal and sort of uh conservative sort of uh, uh mindset around especially money but um but I, it can bleed into other parts of our life and how we show up in trying to be you know uh, uh it's just it's just limiting right um so right yeah it 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 sounds like it's like getting to your to the point where you can live on your own terms and then open up that opens up a lot more possibilities more options that does fulfill you does bring more joy yeah cool so it sounds like yeah you're not as affected by this scarcity mindset anymore right right um and i definitely concur with a lot of your a lot of a lot of your points like it it really resonates with me I'm curious, how do you, how do you balance your passion with kind of the rest of your life? Like possibly, uh, maybe like maybe your career or something. Um, like, does it, does it work in harmony with your, like, with your career and rest of your life? Or is it like, is there a conflict or is it a little bit of both? Yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, I had this scarcity mindset because I thought that it would give me more drive, but I actually found the most success after I switched over to like a different kind of thinking 
which was basically that, um, you know, I can have everything I want and more. <laughs> so I guess that you call that an abundance mindset. Um, in terms of like whether or not uh, pursuing my, my passions or in career uh, interferes with anything else, I really don't think so. Like I'm a person who is a bit uh, obsessive. Like I, I like to go hard at whatever it is that I want to do. And so when I'm working on an investment, when I'm working on a deal, when I'm working on, on my work, or, you know, whether I'm, uh, I'm just networking or like meeting people, like I like to go hard and it, <laughs> it gives me a lot of pleasure and makes it's, it's a lot of fun. It doesn't feel like work to me. Um, so like I can be working my, my, my job in private equity. And then afterwards, like uh, at night, I can work all night on my own personal deals and investing and uh, all the other stuff. Um, and I can do that on weekends too. And it doesn't feel bad. It doesn't feel like work because I enjoy it and I find it fun. Now, if I didn't enjoy it, then, you know, that would suck. <laughs> I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't like that. Um, and it would probably tell me like, I probably need to pursue something different. So I'm very grateful that um, these things happen to align for me and uh, that everything is like lined up in a row to kind of like uh, enjoy and take advantage of. Sweet. <laughs> Can you uh, tell me a little bit about your venturing? I know you. I know you've like lived abroad in China and were involved in a startup there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I really, really enjoy travel. Uh, I've been to maybe forty-two countries, I think, at this point. Uh, I particularly like the backpacking, uh, backpacking uh, type of style of travel. Uh, so what I tend to do is I plan out a a trip uh in pretty great detail um i'm a planner i make uh very very detailed uh, plans and then i try to just execute it and you know uh correct as needed um i like to get the most out of a certain experience so like if a country is known for a particular uh, food or an experience a place i like to see it experience it and do it uh, so i think that that gives me a ton of fulfillment out of life. I try to do at least one big international trip for three weeks every year, uh, if not more. And I think this really started because um, luckily, you know, my, my parents took me around to, uh, myself and my sister, around to lots of countries when we were younger. And, you know, that kind of instilled into me this uh, idea that, hey, the world is yours to explore. You know, you just have to uh, go out and do it and make the time and have the financial resources to do so. So to me, um, it was just a common occurrence, I guess. But it wasn't until I think after college that it really uh, became a passion of mine. Um, as you, as we talked about before, uh, I did go and work for a tech startup in Beijing uh, shortly after graduating college. Um, I worked there for two years, and while I was there, I started a consulting company and later on a uh, custom wedding dress and suit company in the Philippines, um, as well as several other business ventures. But uh, that was when I really gained that travel bug because living in a foreign country after having, I mean, I was raised in America, I was born here, I lived here all my life. I never really lived outside the country. So living in China, for two years was a huge culture shock. 
but it also taught me that the world is your oyster. When you're living in Asia, oh my goodness, the world is your oyster. Everything is cheap and affordable. Nothing is out of reach. I'm, I'm sure you know this, Michael, <laughs> having lived there for the past, <laughs> during the pandemic and everything, like you can do anything and people are friendly. Uh, there's so much to see and do. Everything is new. You just feel like it's a really uh, fulfilling experience. You know, nothing is, um, you, you know, if you stay in the same town or even the same country or same state all your life, like there's so much more to see. There's so much more to experience. There's so much more to do. And it's just so rich. You know, we're very, very lucky that we live in this time period where international travel is so accessible. We're able, if you're able to work from home, you can do this from, from anywhere, um, just like Michael's doing. Like he could be living in Taiwan or Japan and working from home and living the dream. And uh, that was what I was doing while I was running my own uh, businesses out of um, uh, China and the Philippines um so yeah <laughs> those are just some of the adventures that I, I think were a lot of fun so i discovered like a passion for diving while i was out there i discovered a um a passion for meeting other people uh traveling around from hostel to hostel just carrying everything on one backpack and uh traveling to different countries it was a lot of fun super awesome yeah i mean i'm doing a lot of the same things so i feel like <laughs> we're pretty alike uh, but i just wanted to bring things back a bit is, is there anything that you're still trying to figure out that you're like still struggling like to find to figure out the answer to? Yeah, I, I mean, there no one has all the answers. And I think that, um, you know, we should come at life with kind of a humble mindset in that we're always trying to learn. And for me, I guess uh, the next step would be to figure out how to take uh, Asian Investors Network to the next le level. Um, how to take my investing partnerships and deals to the next level and um, maybe become even more location independent. That would be great too. No, it's, it's cool to, to see because there's obviously, you know, like you working in this space, uh, achieving this level of success and security um, I, that was one of those questions that Michael just asked is like, what, what do you, what do you feel like you're still missing in life, you know, or, or what's the kind of the next drive for you, right? Like, how do you, um, you know, cause it's like one of those things where I think for, for our listeners, we, a lot of us want to be at a certain place with our, ourselves, like financially and, and then like, most of the time, like at least for, for me, hearing all these stories of other people who have reached this that level, it's like, okay, well, now what, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. you know, you get to a point and you're thinking that you, you want something so much and it's not exactly how you turn it out to be or maybe that there's still something else, you know, that isn't really fulfilling you, but it does sound like, you know, you are learning to balance all that. But is there, if there is anything for you, right? Is there anything that, is still missing or maybe you don't quite have an answer for or you still at least maybe another drive or motivation that does help you keep keep going yeah um maybe the best way to answer that would be to uh talk about how when i was 18 i made a goal for myself that uh i wanted to be a millionaire by the age of 30 and then that was like a pretty big goal for me and 
you know, while I was in Asia, um, I was making money, but not at the levels that I needed to achieve that mark. So I went on like a before 30 crisis uh, when I came back to the Bay and I was like, I really need to hammer down and, and hit this mark. <laughs> so I, I went, I started going crazy. I, I, I did a ton of uh, investing during that time. And uh, luckily those things uh, paid off. And I have, you know, like, I feel like setting goals is a, a great thing to do because it gives you something to reach towards. Uh, but after you reach it, you have to set something new. Like you're, you're no longer satisfied because you're, you've already reached a new state. So when you're at that new state, then you start wondering like, what's stopping me from reaching the next milestone? Like what's start stopping me from reaching my next uh, mark? You know, if, if not just for my own fulfillment, like you don't necessarily have to do anything with it, but it's, I think it's part of the journey that like once you hit your milestone that you've been looking for all this time then you start to look for what else you can do and uh, I guess for me that would be um, new financial markers because um, yeah I, I'm pretty satisfied with life I'm I'm very grateful for everything that's happened so far the way it's turned out and you know uh, couldn't really ask for more I'm, I'm very uh, grateful I, I really appreciate that too, because I think, I think maybe there is a part of me when asking that question that it can be like, uh, like we have to always be chasing something. And, th and that's not what I mean at all too, because I think there is a, a power to like being, you know, grateful for what you do have and present with where you are and not have to, you know, put so much weight on our, of our happiness and fulfillment on something else that we need to have happened. Right. Cause that's all something. That's a decision. That's a, that's a choice that we can make for ourselves right. at any time. We don't need the money. We don't need that girlfriend or boyfriend or car or anything to, to give that to us because if that's gone, who, who, what's, what's going to fulfill that or what's going to fill that, or take its place right yeah and and so i do appreciate that in in like yeah we, we don't have to constantly be chasing something um and and it's just it's just something i'm reflecting for myself right now as i like go off into entrepreneurship myself and leave a stable tech job and um not have that financial security now you know how how do i balance like the the work I do or decisions I make that uh, is money focused because obviously I need to live and eat <laughs> right but yeah. not have that you know uh, de like deter me from being present and and not have the anxiety about my future and and whatnot it's so I I think I think for it's just one of those things as, as entrepreneurs or as creatives as freelancers, independent people is always so hard to, to, to wrap around. Um, I wonder actually, have you like struggled with that at all? Like as you go into like, obviously investing is very entrepreneurial, right? Like what kinds of sort of emotional battles did you have to face, you know, like any, any like, questions or confusion or um even just yeah any fears or anxiety that you also had to face 
when, when going into so much uncertainty? Like, how did you cope with that? How did you, yeah. That's a really good question because I think that many investors struggle with emotion and that clouds their judgment and their thinking. But in order to be a successful investor, you have to be able to remove the emotional aspect of it. Um, so I think I am fortunate in that, you know, when I'm making investment, I tend to be pretty cold about it. Like it's just a straight analysis. Does it make sense or not? And what are the risks? Um, what are the rewards? And, you know, how can I structure it so that it'll work out? Or are there assumptions that are wrong? So there's many, many things that go into a investment decision and whether you um, make the choice to pursue it or to pass on it. And so I think in terms of uh, emotional things, I think I was most emotional younger when I was younger in my life. Like nowadays, I'm very, when it comes to investing, like I have not that much emotion. It's just like, <laughs> does it make sense or not? And how can I um, make it work or not work? I think that um, when you're dealing with other people's money, you have a sense of uh, responsibility. So it really um, falls on you to make sure that you do do your job well, you do your due diligence well, and so on. So maybe the only thing that I ever really feel when it comes to uh, investing is uh, maybe a sense of anxiety, like, did, uh, did I do all the due diligence that I needed to do? Um, did I figure out all the exit strategies that I need in order to um, uh, safely get out of this investment if it goes south? Uh, because, you know, all investing comes with risk. No one can have a perfect investment or like no one can guarantee that all investments uh, perform well or as expected even. Because sometimes, you know, like you, you promise someone like a 15% return, you get a 13% return, they're disappointed. You promise someone a 10% return, you get a 13% return, that's the exact same return, they're happy. So <laughs> it's also about it's setting expectations. Set expectations so. For sure. Right. So um, I think that, yeah, the main thing that I would feel um, uh, emotionally would be a sense of uh, anxiety. I, I want to be very sure that I cover all my bases, that um, this thing is as foolproof as I can get it to be, and that I've done all the research and due diligence um, that yeah. I need to do in order to uh, gain the comfort that I need to I recommend. Mean, this I think that's like more. easier said than done, though, right? <laughs> like, how do you? Because when you say like it's like how, when you're when you're not emotional about the decisions or where you put your money, it's like very analysis based. But right. the, w with every thought or piece of data, you know, our emotions do drive our behaviors, right? right. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, they talk about it in, in consumer marketing and all the, all the time where, you know, our emotions do drive our buying decisions, right. or at least maybe even not initially, right? Uh, as much as we, like, are conscious or subconscious to it, or, or as much as we want to be analytical, there's always going to be an emotion. So it's like always harder, hard to completely detach. And, yeah. and so I am curious, like how, how you do that, because I'm, it's very relevant for me as I literally just invested, 
a good chunk of change into another business. And, I know this well. <laughs> uh, yeah, we talked about it. We and, talked about um, it. I think yes. And I, it's, so I finally like just like I, I transfer wired over the money, and it's it's this whole thing of like, oh my gosh, did I make the right decision? Like, did I, you know, like um. So, I think it's a two part question, and like, you know, first, how do you decide on the investments that you make or or where you put your money and not have those emotions cloud that judgment or get in the way of even even like the positive emotions maybe right like oh i'm so excited about this thing like you know i uh it's you know there's almost over positivity uh, about it right um but then of course the the anxiety of like letting go of uh, so much money and then the second part of it is now that you have how do you cope with you know that like because a lot of it is sort of waiting period right. you know um so so i think maybe there's a part of like letting go of the want or desire to control things and to like so yeah how, it's just i guess it's more of a i don't know if that no i, I understand question. you yeah. I, I know um, yeah how do you deal with all that yeah so for investing there are two main emotions that would trip up investors or mess up their uh, decision making and those are fear and greed and you cover both those uh, pretty succinctly just now fear is you know the the anxiousness the um the uh the clouding of judgment that can lead to exiting investment too early, not pursuing something or things like that. And then there's greed, the irrational exuberance uh, commonly displayed by people who think they're investing but are actually gambling on meme stocks or YOLO stuff. I'm sure we have seen a lot of this in the past few months. Um, so I always wanna tell people like that's not investing, that's speculation. Um, luckily for me, uh, I've been doing this for 16 years. So like, it's, it's a practice thing. It's a habit and it's a, um, it's a habit that's been ingrained into me. And I, I got this, uh, I guess, mindset by studying the habits and thought process of Warren Buffett, who always, you know, uh, advocates a very long-term mindset. So I approach my investments in the same manner, basically. I do my due diligence. I go through an extensive checklist and basically uh, go through everything that I can think of. I check the assumptions. I check uh, what could go wrong. I check what could go right. And I think of every possible factor that I can possibly think of. And then at the end of the day, you have to make a decision. So you make the best decision that you can with the uh, information that you have at the time. And then um, you correct as needed, right? Um, Some you know, that's not the correct as needed is uh, sometimes exiting investment because you have no control over it. Other times it's um, making other decisions along the way. But the key is to make the best decision all the time with the best information that you have. And, you know, there's like a fine line between analysis paralysis where you just keep doing research and you don't actually make a decision and um, making a decision too quickly. So I think it's important for people to be methodical and analytical. So for me, I, I am a very checklist oriented person. Um, I do 
everything on spreadsheets, like even my planning, even if I play a computer game and there's like an auction house in the computer uh, game, like say World of Warcraft or something, I would input all the things that I'm selling and figure out like where the where the price point is. And sometimes that's like a like a fun thing for me. You know, I, I enjoy like playing auction houses and making money in games just as much as I like playing the game sometimes. It's it's hilarious. That, uh, that's but, what know, I wanted. Sorry to cut you off. I, I yeah. wanted to ask too is like how, how does that mentality of of like you know analytical sort of you know like that mentality show up in other parts of your life you know like net maybe not just financial now like in a relationship or how you you know in your family or maybe just I don't know other passions or like how does that you know is there any connection that you see with how you've developed this sort of mentality and how it shows up how it shows up yeah uh i think it shows up everywhere to be honest like <laughs> it applies to almost every aspect of my life i'm i'm very very analytical um uh, and i i'm a planner like i think uh, carefully about everything i'm doing i mentioned uh, briefly earlier when i travel like i plan everything out i figure out in advance like my budget how much i'm going to spend and uh how likely I am to hit it given the activities and things that I want to do. Like I have a pretty good idea of uh, what everything is going to cost and um, and so on. And when I'm actually traveling, uh, I do this for fun. I take uh, I take notes on every single expenditure that I have, and then I write it down and I compare it to my initial assumptions. Yeah, yeah, that and that's just yeah, something that actually it. feels fun for me. <laughs> um, and it's usually pretty close to the mark. So, so, I a, so I have a question. So like when you travel, do you not plan for spontaneity? So let's say like there's something that you see like on the side of the road and then let's say like some days you just feel like going scuba diving and then like if you don't plan for it, like are you not going to do it or is it something that like, oh, like I'll, I'll plan for it later on? Yeah, um, that's a good question. So basically I take care of that in the contingency assumptions that I make in the, in the planning process and like if, if at the end of the day, it interferes with my um, actual experience, like I won't uh, let that constrain me. Like I, w I want the experience to be the constraint and like the, I like getting deals. So for example, if something is way overpriced, I'm, not just, I'm just not gonna do it, even if it's like really attractive because I, I'm gonna feel like I'm getting shanked and I don't like that feeling. So like, <laughs> I'm gonna, I know I'm gonna be thinking about it while I'm doing it. So like, it's not going to be fun for me. Whereas if I get a great deal on something, then it's going to make me happy. So even if it's, you know, like just a chill thing, then it will still make me happy. But um, to plan for a spontaneity, I think that, you know, you can't let your budget totally control you, uh, but you can make assumptions in the budget. So for example, if my food budget is like, um, I'm, I'm assuming like, um, like say 21 days and I'm spending maybe 25 bucks a day or something like that. Like maybe I spend less than, maybe I go crazy one day and spend like hundred bucks. Then the next few days, like I just uh, ease off a bit. Like I, maybe I buy a bunch of stuff at the grocery store and then um, and then that rounds out my, my budget at then. Well, you know, I hear that there's a balance of discipline and, and just spontaneity and having fun or just like blowing money uh i 
I don't know if that's how I would travel, but I'm glad you have fun with that. <laughs> it's definitely not everyone's style. Yeah, I have a very exactly. specific style of travel. Uh, but I, you know, if you are looking into be having that financial future, right? It's you. We, we do have to have discipline about where our money goes. So, um, Michael, I don't know if you had something you wanted to throw in there. Yeah, I mean, I I think I agree with like apply as much discipline as like your mental energy will let you don't let it <laughs> don't let it control you don't make it unhappy um i mean i don't i definitely don't do as much planning when i travel but you know it tends to work out <laughs> i like the deals uh yeah do you have any uh do you have anything you want to say to our listeners out here any any advice or message that you want to get across <laughs> um let me think i think that it's important to follow your passion and pursue it with as much vigor as you can summon. Um, I think that to reach the pinnacle of your life to basically fulfill your potential, um, it's important to find out what it is that drives you and to pursue that with everything you have. And uh, it's also important to, along the way, ask for help from people who are more successful than you. Uh, that, that's something that is like a shortcut to greater success, I think. Um, because we can always learn from other people. There will always be people that we can learn from who are more successful than us, uh, better at us than something or the other. So if we surround ourselves with a great network of friends, supporters, and people who uplift us, then we won't be stuck in negative thoughts and energy and things like that. I, I think... For me, I try to always surround myself with people who are positive, uh, go-getters, ambitious, uh, fun to be around, and you know, fun to talk to. It's something that has made life a lot easier and a lot more fun and happy. Yes, thank you, Sam, for being here. And as we come up to the top of the hour, um, it's been it's been cool to just chat about these things that I think we don't normally get to talk about as often. So appreciate sharing your story and your mentality, your mindset, perspective, and, and how you've created your life and where you're at right now. So um, yeah, is there any way or for anyone who wants to reach out or connect? Um, I know you have the Asian Investors Network. You wanna, the floor is yours. Just, kind of throw your awesome. plugs <laughs> thank you thank you um yeah if you would like to reach out you can always find me on uh facebook uh, my name is sam fong and you can find me even more easily via the asian investors network uh we are open to everyone as long as you're like sincere and uh serious about investing uh asian investors network is on facebook we're gonna have a website soon and uh, our community is focused on uh, quality conversations and connections and discussions on stocks, crypto, startups, and real estate. We have everyone from complete newbies to very sophisticated um, accredited investors. So uh, happy to connect, I'm happy to help in whatever way I can and uh, look forward to meeting more people. Sweet, yeah, it's great to- Thank you. Thank, thanks for being on here. Yeah, great. To, we've talked about a lot of this before, but just like great to have you on and dive a bit into your yeah, mindset. Yeah, that was uh, another episode of Badass Asian Dudes. 
um, with, uh, with Sam Fong, <laughs> Agent Investors Network Extraordinaire. So we'll see you again. Um, yeah, like and subscribe this podcast and see you next episode. Thank you for having me. Hey, it's Victor here. Thank you again for listening to another episode of the Badass Asian Dudes podcast featuring our guest, Sam Fong from Asian Investors Network. Uh, So excited to be able to share this episode with other Badass Asian Dudes who want to level up their life. And if you want to level up your financial well-being, definitely join Sam's Facebook group, Asian Investors Network link will be in the show notes and if you want to exercise your emotional fitness in brotherhood with other self-identifying asian men definitely visit our discord at bit.ly slash monthly fam it is b-i-t dot l-y slash monthly fam f-a-m link will also be in the show notes this is a discord server and monthly meeting every first thursday of the month 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, where we will connect with other Asian men who develop our emotional intelligence and emotional fitness. Again, learn more in the link in the description. We are also looking to collaborate with others across the U.S. to host local meetups under Badass Asian Dudes. So if you want to create or host a meetup to connect with other Asian men, Uh, with these deeper topics or even in more professional settings, please reach out to us at badassagendudes gmail.com or find us on Instagram at badassagendudesofficial and we would love to help you set up a local meetup in your city. With that, thank you again for listening and we'll catch you next time.